Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're still keeping it together. Um, I mean, it seems like the lockdown measures are slowly starting to ease, and I guess that's promising. I mean, we got to look forward to something. We got to look forward to the hope of having a normal-ish summer, because sometimes that's all you need is hope and dreams, right? So at least from where I'm standing, I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel, and we're going to be seeing more of that soon. So this is One Hour in Podcast, episode 15, today with my longtime friend, Pierre Sarazin, a teacher, a world traveler, and maybe even a soul searcher. His experiences, both at home in Canada and across the world, have left him with a broadened and diverse perspective of the world. And he will share with us some of his views on the challenges of online learning, particularly for the disadvantaged. Now, one thing's for sure, the momentum towards everything digital seems unstoppable and perhaps even accelerated because of the novel coronavirus. So perhaps it's time for education to also evolve as a result, because we now have revolutionary access to information, which can be learned, and that should provide unlimited opportunities for modernizing the old school into the new school. (laughs) So I guess the puns are intended, but whatever, it is what it is. Thanks for checking out One Hour in Podcast. I hope you enjoy what you see. Um, If you do, I'd be grateful for your subscription, like, or share. And now, on with the show. Number 15, Pierre Salazin, Challenges of Digital Education. Here we go. Three, two, one. Pierre, what's up, bro? Welcome back. I'm doing good, buddy. Welcome back to Canada. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. It is is great to be... um, Living in my parents' basement again at 37. I oh my god, I don't even want to think of that. Yeah, at some point I'm gonna have to uh, get out of quarantine, but uh, at the moment, uh, luckily we've got a nice little apartment. Uh, yeah, it does drop down to quite cold at night because it's in the basement, but it's okay. Well, you made it safe and sound, and and I want to get back to that story because when this broke out, you were perhaps about as far away as possible from home as you could have been. You were all the way in New Zealand. Close, yeah, close to as far as possible. Yeah, I think uh, Sydney would probably be a little bit further, but yeah, it was. Uh, we were quite far away when this broke out, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, we should have headed back earlier. So it, um, it's been weird, but we've been quite lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, we were able to get a flight for a reasonable price, and uh, about uh, twenty four hours after that, the whole country shut down. So it would have been very complicated for us just to stay around New Zealand. We were very lucky to to be able to get back to Canada. So you and with last no flight. Yeah, well, not exactly because there were still flights, but the whole country went into kind of lockdown, which we still haven't uh, actually gone through in North America. Um, New Zealand has this, this cool thing where they've got like levels of um, security. I don't know the exact terms, but essentially we're at a level two when we bought our flight tickets. And they, the next day they went to level three and the day after that, the level four, which basically means no non-essential travel at all. They're patrolling the highways, everything. So people were stuck. Uh, backpackers like us that had bought cars and were, you know, staying in a van by beach, they weren't allowed to move their car anymore. Yeah, like tourists so are not that, essential now. <laughs> well, exactly. They, they aren't. Uh, they consume resources um, and they use public facilities, which were now closed. So for us, it was uh, it was quite a rough realization to be like, oh, I can't take a shower anymore because as tourists, we relied on campgrounds or public showers, which didn't exist. So that kind of brought us to buy a ticket uh, back home as soon as possible oh before we started to stink too much. You guys were the outliers, man. You guys were the unwanted. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. Uh, you know, we, we followed some forums online after we left. And uh, 
it got pretty bad for some people. So we, we feel very lucky. Um, shout out to all our friends who um, kind of guided us to leave. Um, it was, uh, it was, we were really cutting it by the wire and we were really lucky to, uh, to get back home. And again, no complications. We had a lot of people separate, uh, supporting us when we got back here, which is great. Flew back to Toronto, landed there, got our, got to a car that was already preloaded with food, filled up with fuel, insured and everything. We just drove to a place to isolate ourselves. That's so nice, man. That's so nice to have like good supporting family to get all that shit ready for you. Cause you shared uh, part of the story with me before, right? Like car full of gas, groceries, everything, right? Car (laughs) full of gas, uh, the car had to be plated, insured. Everything was done. Uh, thank God for my wife's uh, parents and, uh, and her, her cousin uh, and her husband who brought the car out to Toronto and left it at the airport for us. Um, amazing. we were very lucky. Uh, I kind of wish the government would have set up some something to help travelers because we couldn't have been the only people that were in that situation, which was, I'm coming back to the airport, but my car's not there. Right. Where am I going? Right. And uh, actually a woman in front of us, it was quite surprising. Um, you know, she's going through the uh, through um, border protection right. and they ask her, you know, what are your plans for self-isolation? And she says, oh, well, uh, just uh, as soon as I take the public bus to go do my groceries, I'm going to go self-isolate. And they had no problem with that. And that to me seemed absurd. You know, in New Zealand, um, the country was shut down. You weren't allowed to physically move yeah. uh, unless it was for essentials. And this woman is clearly saying that she's taking the public bus to go do her groceries and border protection had no issues with that. So <laughs> a little bit, it was a little bit weird getting back home. Um, but, you know, we've been doing our best to respect it without going too crazy. Um, we wouldn't very much like to be able to go to a restaurant. And I'm sure we're not the only people thinking that. Uh, but it's brought us back to our, our roots, I guess. I don't know about you, but um, my my inner introvert has been coming out, and it's it's been kind of nice to have an excuse not to socialize sometimes and uh, just yeah take your days slowly. I got my uh, yeah, I got my introvert side too, man. It's been it's been great for that, like you know. Um, but I'm I'm really getting the cabin fever at this point. I mean, we all are. There's nothing new. Yeah, you know? of course. And and I yeah. I hope people take away from this that that. Um, you know, connecting digitally the way we had pursued so much. Um, I think now we're realizing we're lacking social connection, like outside of the people you live with. That's it. You're not, yeah. forget those yeah. hugs and kisses, man. That's it. Like not for the next little while. Um, well, I, and you know what? I would be very curious how the younger generation is um, dealing with this. You know, you and I miss this because we grew up at a time in, in, in kind of a weird transition period where we went from uh, having no real connection, no internet to being fully connected. Um, I miss uh, meeting people physically, but I don't know if that applies to everyone. You know, maybe the younger generation sees no difference because they meet their friends online in chats. I suspect um, that that would actually be the case. Um, Having um, co-parented a a younger um, uh, child a couple of years ago um, and seeing her go go through that the concept of going out to see friends was not as popular with her as it would have been you know when I had her age to her using her uh, her um, her um, iPod touch to send messages was sufficient to stay in touch yeah and to us you know I, I know we still do it. I mean, I, I, you know, I still text you regularly, we, but we, you know, we don't really call each other, but I don't feel like I can be really connected with friends unless I physically see them from time to time. 
Yeah. So I see, I hear what you're saying. You know, it makes us realize that we need more. I wonder how, how the kids are experiencing it though. Um, some yeah. may just not see a difference. You know, it's more time in front of the, uh, the video games and uh, more digital time, right? I spent a lot of time thinking about this, you know, especially taking some courses now just out of personal interest and, and, and growth and whatever, like, you know, kids going through school now, man, they're having a tougher time than we were when we were going through it. Um, I think my friend, uh, Veronique, she goes to Ottawa U and she's, she's telling me that there was five suicides last year, I believe. Really? What causes? Mental or health. What's, well, obviously, you wouldn't know the exact causes. Yeah, but. of course, right? We can only assume. But if you just look statistically, I mean, I know you're looking at, you know, quantitative data and not qualitative. But statistically, if if there's so much increase in mental health illness and all this stuff, and to the point that kids are, are so pressured in school and feel such a level of burden having to get good grades to get their bachelor's degree and then with good grades, they can get into graduate school and then they can be on equal footing with their peers so they can hopefully get a job and hopefully when they pay off those student loans and maybe, maybe buy a house if they're lucky with dual income because good luck affording a house on your own at this point, right? So I don't know if, if I'm extrapolating too many layers too far here, but I can I feel like the pressures that an 18-year-old has to go through today is is more than I had to when I was half my age when I was their age. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree for a, a mature 18 year old where, you know, they're, they're taking, taking these things into consideration. When I think back to how I was, when I was 18, I don't know if I would have been thinking about all these things. Um, one thing that, that I believe is, is, uh, is quite prevalent uh, and, and may lead to a lot more, at least depression um, is, is the, 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 the ability or the ease of which we can compare ourselves with others nowadays. You know, when, when we were young in high school, you know, there was, there was the jocks and there was, you know, there's always, you know, those couple of students that we looked up to, right. They were the popular ones. Right. But you didn't see or hear about them every single day, every single minute. Well, nowadays children, kids, students, whatever, you know, they're following tons of people online and they're comparing themselves to these people constantly. And you'll never measure up. You're, you're measuring your, yourself against the entire planet. You'll, you will never be as good as everyone you're looking at of course and so it, it, it's it's instant uh depression it's instant i suck yeah. because i you know i can't look like beyonce or i can't dance like bruno mars or or, or whatever you're comparing yourself constantly yeah. to people because you can do it now um or wake I, up I suspect- at 4 30 in the morning like jocko every day and hit the weight super hard every day who like what human being is capable of that type of commitment to a, a- a fitness regime or any any project they would choose let's say but to wake up at 4 30 every day just to crush a workout before you know like and that, that actually it's funny you bring that up you know i i read that david goggins book that you'd mentioned it was, mm. it was a good read by the way um and it it brings up it brought up something interesting you know you're you're reading this and it there's a fine line between motivation when you're reading a self-help book and demotivation which makes you feel like i i suck because I don't have the skill, right? I don't have this ability. I could never do, uh, I don't know how many pull-ups he did, you know, 4,000 or something. Yeah, like, it was like 1,200 in Manhattan, 12, 1,200 pull-ups in Yeah, I, I think the record was a bit above 4,000, but it, oh, really? 4, the number is wow. kind of irrealistic yeah, because I would exactly. never reach that. And in his book, he pushes the idea that, you know, you set your own limits, which I understand because I, I God knows I set my own limits and, and everyone does. 
but there's also a point where you're if you're telling everyone really you can just if you just tried harder you could do it that's also setting goals that most people won't reach and it's it's quite depressing well you yeah i i see what you mean and 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 i've actually experienced this i can relate to this from a fitness perspective because when i first started working out it was all like you know eagle let's get as big as i can with the biggest muscles i can right and it's that too is because in our society that's what is rewarded and 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 you know like that's what that's what guys do like the joke is guys guys work out more for other guys than for girls because it's true you just want to one-up the next guy so you look more you know shoulders broader and 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 more attractive to to women in general so anyways but you pursue that and then you you consume all the ads and stuff that the fitness industry throws at you with all you need the bcaas and you need this amount of protein and just stay away from that and you want to have that and it, it makes you think you have to do all these things to excel and maybe one day look like jocko but in reality everyone has a range right if, you, if you've got the right genetics, you can work out and end up looking like a military warrior. Um, I'm built like a fucking Olympic swimmer. And I never yeah. embraced that because I had an ego issue with needing to look jacked. And now yeah. that, I've, that I've shed most of that, it, it's just life's a lot better because now I can train f- with purpose for the things I enjoy doing. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. Part of it is knowing not, not your limits, but knowing who you are, right? I could probably learn some part of ballet, right? I, I could learn something. Is that but what at some point, fancy? it wouldn't necessarily be the best investment of my time because I don't have the body for it. I don't have the desire. I'm not interested in learning ballet. That, that's who I am, and that, that's okay. You know, you don't have to. Once you accept that, you know, this is not me, then it's quite freeing, right? Uh, the the problem with with youth often is they don't they don't know who they are yet and and heck most adults don't know yet and I'm not even sure I know exactly who I am but when you're young the the sky's the limit in some ways so you try all these things you know, you take the piano lessons you take the violin lessons you take karate and all that stuff and that's all great you know you're testing that stuff out but you can't then compare yourself to people who make it their life's mission to learn karate and that's all they do their entire life right. Um, and showcase uh, only their highlights. And you're comparing yourself to their best, the things they choose to make public. But, I mean, this, there's nothing new. Everyone knows they, everyone posts their best on Instagram and all those things. You know, I, I don't know. I, either that or I'm really ignorant. Um, you know, we, we But you're not a consumer. This... You're, you're not a big consumer of it. And in a way, that's a good thing. I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually saying that as a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, I, I know, but it, it, this may even make what I'm about to say even more powerful in some ways because, yeah, I don't really consume that. I, I tend to look at, uh, you know, any picture I see online, I, I'm like, okay, well, that's makeup or that's, uh, I don't know, that's creatine or whatever. You know, I, I tend to be quite skeptical about things that I look at. And yet, you know, we, we started off this, this discussion talking about a trip that I, that I was on uh, with my wife and we came back early um, from New Zealand. Now that original, that trip was originally supposed to be a year long. And the reason for that is I'd been dreaming of that trip for the last 10 years because I'd been looking at blogs. I'd been seeing those posts on Facebook saying, quit your job and go travel the world and be a digital nomad. Mm. And uh, I, I work in IT. I, I could technically be a digital nomad. So I thought, yeah, that, that's my life. I want to go live on an island in Thailand and, and write code and drink beer for a living or, or, or something, you know, just 
just relax and enjoy life, not not be part of the rat race and all that stuff. If you figure because out how, I was brother, seeing, let me know. Sorry? If you figure yeah, it out, well, let me know. <laughs> so what I found out during doing this trip is it always looks great on paper, but in real life, life always sucks and life's always good. It's yeah. not it's not gonna be magical. You know, we we traveled, we did uh 26 countries. Just checking with the wife. 20 Man. countries. 20 and, countries, geez. And after visiting 20 countries, they all started to look the same. You know, obviously there were the obvious differences, you know, polluted, not polluted, different cultures and all that. But in the end, it was always the same problems. Yeah. How do I get a SIM card? What's what's tipping like here? Where's it? Where do I get money? What are the typical scams? How do I find lodging? Yeah. You know, what's what is twenty dollars or thirty dollars a night get me? And, and figuring all all that logistic out. And in the end, it became a job to travel. Yeah. And so having seen all these blogs that made me dream, yeah. I was quite disappointed in doing this. And it only strengthened my skepticism of what I, I read online. And what I'm, what I'm saying is I, fe- I, 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 uh, I fell victim to the same thing that you did, you know, looking at, at pictures that were all jacked. A few guys were all jacked and thinking, I want to be like that. I was looking at travelers doing that. Just, and just, I want to just be for the people. record, I wasn't looking at pictures. I just wanted to get jacked. But You know, man, I'm not here ser- to judge. You know, it's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but it, it, what what happens with being connected all the time is it turns us into dreamers, right? We, we see these things and, and we, I, most people, I'm sure some people don't, but I, I'm guilty of this. I compare my life to what I see online. Maybe more than some people, maybe less than others. But I think, man, my life sucks. I've got to, I've got to sweep the floor today, or I've got to, you know, do the dishes, or I've got to wash some clothes, or, you know, my life is monotonous. I wake up at eight, I have a coffee, I start work. You know, I, why don't I work out? Why am I not doing three jobs at once? Why don't I day trade? Why oh, am I not an expert? My you know? friend, if you would only continue with the meditation. Yeah, you know what? I'll get to that. Why don't I meditate? That's another thing. You know, like. So let me let me just go back to what you said two three minutes ago about things are good and bad and everything else is just blah because you're doing the same thing over and over again. I'm going to suggest that good or good feelings feel good because they should guide to reward the behavior. Just did that led you to feel that way, and consequently, the opposite is true. Things that feel bad should be an opportunity to learn the interpretation of what made you feel bad, and so all of these things. It's almost like you're bouncing between the guardrails of good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And ideally, you learn from the good and from the bad to keep honing in and to stay closer to center. And to be honest, like meditation taught me that closer to center is just acceptance because you can't control everything. Like I used to have the craziest fucking mind, man, and I tried to control everything. I can't. But acceptance of what may come, whether it is good or bad, and looking at good as as uh, great things are great I'm, i that that was good and things that come your way that hurt or that are challenging difficult to interpret or accept opportunity to learn so that you can do better next time yeah and i th- that I, I totally agree with you, uh, you and know, like- oh i missed the actually the, the whole point i was making is that if you find a way to center and to turn down the monkey mind and all the crazy talk and then you center on a purpose and you hone in on that 
if you do that for long enough, and I, and I get you have to figure out your purpose, but you do that long enough, you start to identify with your new purpose and you're reinforcing the neurons and synapses that connect to what you're doing every day repeatedly. And then you start to just automatically forget about the concerns that troubled you before you got your momentum on your purpose. Yeah, no, I, like I see what you're saying. Um, but as with everything, I think you need to figure out how to apply it on your own. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've done the reading on meditation. I've, I've technically been meditating longer than you have, and I've got had less success than you because I haven't found my groove. Right. And I, I tend to give up quicker, I guess you're much more, uh, passionate. And, um, when you, when you, you know, when you go, go with something, you a hundred percent, I tend to get discouraged. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. Meditation certainly, certainly works, but it also, it also comes back to not comparing yourself, you know, set realistic goals. Well, and maybe my goal today is not, not, not meditating. It's just realizing like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm losing focus right now because I'm thinking about something that, that is completely pointless to worry about. You know, I, I had a, a call with a client uh, yesterday where I felt like he didn't like me and that bothered me for a couple of hours. That, literally means nothing, mm -hmm. but it was bothering me. And being able to pull back and realize that that's a, that's a step. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it goes back to celebrating at least your small wins, your small gains, you know, often we don't pay attention to that. We only pay attention to, oh man, I screwed that up. You know, mm -hmm. I should have done this. I should have done that. That negative uh, self-talk, man. That's like, oh, it's man. in my sports performance class, third year psych. Like I used to think this shit was like internet woo woo podcast, bro science. Straight up sports performance and pro athletes, they do the imagery and they work on their self-talk and look, the, everyone has the power. You talk to yourself like you're, you're a loser or you're a winner, but you have, you're, if there's one thing you can still control today is how you treat yourself. And once I found, like once I started accepting myself for who I was and, and the things that I wanted to accomplish with my life, there was no looking back. But then also the social comparison mattered a lot less. Because I stopped giving a shit about, oh my God, I weigh 155 pounds now. Like, how can I go in public like this? Like, no, I, like now the way I see it, I see people in ill health and suffering. And the way I see it is I'm doing what I can to be as healthy as I can. And 155 pounds, yeah, that may not be a lot in North American, you know, um, I guess the average Bulk, uh, shape yeah. of a male, but I'm bang on in the sweet spot for a guy my height. Yeah. So a, 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 again, it comes back to, you know, appreciating who you are and appreciating, you know, uh, who you could be. One thing that, that, that's always bugged me though, is, um, there, there's an aspect of setting realistic goals and appreciating who you are and uh, accepting who you are. And there's also an aspect of, well, I'm just being lazy. So, f you know, for example, um, you know, as you know, I've trained for, to run marathons. Um, I've run a couple. Um, I've had more or less success. Um, I've always been hard on myself, um, mostly because I've never hit my goals. My goals are not irrealistic. Uh, you know, I'm not aiming to rub a sub three hour marathon. Uh, although theoretically someone at my age and, and with enough training might be able to, um, I'm aiming to, to, to run something more realistic, but I've never hit it. So how many marathons the, have you run? Six. Five, six, something like that. Okay, um, and, and tell me which goal you haven't hit yet. Out of uh, running, I've, I've been aiming to run three, three hours and thirty minutes on a marathon. 
oh, okay. um, the closest I've ever come. And I was close. I, I was lined up for that 331 year. Um, yeah. And I think I hit uh, dehydration. Mm. And then it was, it went all yeah, yeah. downhill from there, you know. I, I, I hit four hours. Right. Um, a marathon is very, very mental. It's very, um, it, it, it's some of it is physical. Obviously, you've got, you've got to train, but a lot of it is just pushing your limits, you know, pushing it, you know, beyond the point where your legs hurt so much that it, they make no sense. Uh, that you don't want, like I, I've had semi-emotional breakdowns while running a marathon. It, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting and, and in some ways pleasant feeling. Um, it's not fun as far as the pain goes, but you, you get suddenly very emotional. Um, you know, I, I've, I've cried while running, looking at, uh, at some people who just really impressed me, you know? So it, it's, it's a whole new thing. It's a great feeling. Uh, the training for a marathon is hell. It takes forever to do. Um, but getting back to this, the reason that I, you know, that I, I question, you know, where, where do you draw the line between being lazy and accepting your limits? You know, is my limit really like three hours and 50 minutes or which is the best I've ever hit? Or is it just because I'm saying, you know what, I'm too lazy to push myself to that point. And well, there's, there's a sweet spot there, right? There's a point where if I, if I train 24 seven, I could certainly hit that time. Exactly. But I've got other things I want to do with my life, you know? It's exactly what I was going to say to you is, is um, it's very easy to, to look at professionals and, and not realize the context behind professionals. You know, they train for a living. They eat the best food for a living. Sure, yeah, they eat cheat meals exactly. because they burn fucking 3,000 to 5,000 calories a day just part of their regular training. Even during off season now, like players are expected to, you know, like keep their fitness so that when they arrive in training yeah. camp, like they're ready to, to get going, not to warm up for the season. So, yeah. how about I just expand on your train of thought? Yeah. So one thing that um, that I've learned as I've grown up, and and if there's anything that I can maybe share with some listeners that that may help someone, it is when you look at someone that you look up to. You know, and when, when they, you're impressed with somebody else's performance and, and you start to get down on yourself because, oh man, I, you know, I'm not that good or, you know, I don't look that good or I, I've, I've never been that performant. You, you got to ask yourself what that person has invested or is investing to do that. So I, I've seen this more and more in the, uh, in my professional life as I've, I've grown older, you get, you run into these, these odd ducks, these people that excel beyond any means, you know, compared like you see them and they're, they're, they're these stars, bright stars. Mm -hmm. Now, often, not all the time in education, they're, they're, they're younger teachers. The reason often is because younger teachers have more time. They don't have families. So they've got the time to invest in this and to, to try new things and, and to be innovative and to push the limits. Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. I mean, I've seen some excellent uh, innovation from older teachers and that still happens but you've got to remember that when people start pushing the limits it's because they've taken the time to do it and where do they get that time well do you rationally have that time you know maybe you maybe you could run a three hour or three and a half hour marathon but are you willing to put that time in do, 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 you know are you willing to do you want to sacrifice your family life to do that um, no, what's, it. uh, going back to Goggins, actually his book dis discussed that, you know, he was saying how to optimize his life to be able to train. And that's actually where I started to disagree with him. You know, he was saying how he, he'd compartmentalize his life and prioritize, okay, you've got to, you know, you've got to allocate a couple of hours a day for your family. So they don't think that you don't like them. 
no, man, like you allocate time to your family because you want to be with them. If you see yeah. your family as an obstacle in your training, then your priority is not your family, it's your training. And, and that's okay if you're willing to admit that to yourself. But I would argue, but, Pierre, you totally got the message about goal setting. Um, Goggins aside, I think you knew some of this stuff, just perhaps without knowing it formally, but you don't run five or six marathons without uh, training in a very graduated process for that. And you were the one who even told me about you know the, the graduated way in which you trained for a marathon, yeah. which totally makes sense because you're preparing for longer and longer endurance, uh, right? So... Um, but you know, where, where, where you need to, to also realize is what drives people, right? Cause what drives me is very different. What drives you and then the, the people listening and all this stuff. And, you know, for him, he suffered a level of abuse in his childhood that we have not, you know, we have, we have our own childhood, um, realities, Issues. which have yeah. influenced and, and shaped our perception of life, of course, but we don't have his Right. Of course. And so for a lot of for a lot of these guys, you know, discipline really is freedom to quote Jocko. Like that's that's their that's their fucking ticking clock, man. That's what keeps them regular because otherwise right. you fly off the handle. And I agree. What I'm saying is for, for those of us who maybe, you know, are, are different, it's okay to be different too, you know? Like I, I would Yo, love different to have- is in. Different is in today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, we're talking about, you know, these guys, you know, they, they, like you read these books, and you're like, man, why can't I be disciplined like this guy? You know, what was it like one of the things he, he, he went up to do a set of pull-ups in his initial training and he missed it by one. And so he couldn't sleep. So he went back and he did it again. Like, I'm sorry, that that's that's not who I am. And I'm okay with that, you know, like. But I've no one's judging you, bro. No, no one's judging you, bro. And I'm you not asking, and I'm not saying that. I'm talking about, you know, as you're reading that book, yeah. you often will look at yourself and say, man, why am I not like that, you know? And that's one of the downsides of reading these self-help books is you you often, you, you're reading them to, in principle, help yourself, right? And so you're going to be looking at what you're reading and thinking, okay, why can't I do that? Well, you know? okay, so why not the same coin, flip that coin on its head, and it says the same thing, but just frame it like, oh, I should try to be more like that. Now that I have the idea that this person is more like that, well, I have a lot of time. I don't really know what to do with it. I'm going to dedicate some of my time to being more like that. And that's a personal decision for you to choose and decide on what aspect of your life you wish to improve, whether it's fitness, whether it's reading books, whether it's becoming spiritual, whether it's developing your career, whether it's developing your relationships. What I'm saying is you want to be able to also step back and say, do I even really want this? Of course. And in some, well, no, but in some cases you don't, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm, I'm different than you in this sense, but I, I'll read things and I'll often think, oh man, I'd like to be like that. And often I don't sit back and think, you know what? I, I don't, I don't really want to be like that. You know, I don't want to excel at this and that and that because it would take a level of investment that would take away other things I like. So, you know, I, I've uh, one thing why, that's been on my list all my life. Why does this occupy your thoughts if no one's expecting it of you? It's almost like you expect it of yourself and justify to yourself. Well, like you know, you don't you don't even have to justify to yourself. I guess is what I'm saying. Why you're not more like that? So when you were reading um, the Goggins book, you didn't start to think, "Oh man, like yeah, I should I should train harder. I should." 
um, endure pain more, you know, uh, cold showers and all that stuff. Man, I, I look didn't... at, I just look at people as inspirational. I, I, there's sure. no value in looking at people who bring me down and I've, I've had some in my life and, you know, I've, I've had to shed some, um, <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's hard, you know, family things yeah. are hard, but I always look at other people as inspiration and I've never looked at them as, uh, in a way to compare myself negatively. And maybe that's because of my specific circumstances. Like I grew up and not just an only child with no siblings, but also with zero extended family and an absent father in my teenage years, right? So I had, short of a mother that was at home and she was, you know, good, caring and all that stuff, but I had no other example of a close relative to latch on to, to, to mm-hmm. see a different set of values uh, and, and uh, analyze those values, to share an opinion with, to discuss feelings with. It was all, all internal. So anyways, all that to say, like my big sad story, no, uh, but just I've developed a sense of responsibility for how I feel, how I think, how I look, um, and, and I'm just, I'm after improving that. And, and that's without detriment to anyone else, so I don't even feel guilty about just pursuing to become as good as I can be. Like, that's what I compare myself. When I, when I, when I waste time comparing myself, I, I waste time comparing myself thinking how strong I used to be or how fast I used to be before I was injured and how long it's going to take to get back to that. And as soon as I realize I'm doing it, I'm like, fuck Alex, snap out of it. You either got a training thing to do, so either going on the bike or you're doing your physio or you're doing whatever. But it's always just... Like I said, man, if you if you can choose to be positive or negative, to me the choice is clear. And every time I choose wrong, I I, I reframe my choice and I remind myself that I always have that choice. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I just I I wonder how many people actually do that. You know, I find that you know people usually when they're reading a, a self help book will be doing it because they want to change something, right? You're reading it because you're looking for answers somewhere, right? And often, um, and that was actually in uh, Mark Manson's book, uh, The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mm. Um, it actually brings up that, you know, self-help books actually bring you down. Yeah. Because it basically says like, oh, you could be this, you could be that, you could be that. And you're not, you know? And so it just makes you, I understand what you're saying, you know, how, you know, that stuff like that can inspire you. And it's, but with inspiration often comes, well, I'm not there yet. Well, that if you're and- coming from a, from a down place, right? So let's take, for example, someone who's depressed. When they first start going through treatment for depression, initially they actually start to feel even less good because they become more aware of the very things that was causing them to be depressed. They haven't got to the point where they're starting to analyze their existing coping techniques and perhaps reframe their thinking to, towards more efficient coping techniques to reduce their stress and therefore... Yeah, you've got to break down the barriers to start seeing the problems, right? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, switching it up a bit, because while we have the opportunity, yeah. I've, I've always wanted to ask you, you know, how you feel that kids are, are progressing now through the education system being so online and so um, digital, Especially more so now that COVID is 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 boosting that even even more, right? So uh, it seems kind of an odd thing, you know, about forty minutes in to start going through uh, my my biography, uh, but to to give a little bit of a it's half time, uh, half time. Yeah, a little bit of a, a background. Uh, I've um, I've been teaching on and off since I was eighteen. Um, I'm, I am a certified teacher. 
but I've been uh, working mostly in online uh, stuff for the last five years. So um, mostly helping with design of online courses. So I've uh, I've seen both sides. You know, I've I've taught in the high school level, um, and I've uh, also handled some online stuff, um, a lot of the the, uh, the back end stuff, but uh, also some online courses. Um, I've also had the pleasure or displeasure of taking online courses at a university level. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Displeasure, dude. It's like my favorite thing. But anyways, carry on. Oh, man, we got we to gotta talk about this because okay. I've, I've never hated my life more than when I was taking e-learning courses uh, at the university level. Okay. Uh, and there, there, we, we, may, we may have a good discussion on this, actually. Could it be you an interface know, issue? You know, my, sorry? Could it be an interface issue? Oh, heck, let's get into this right now, right? Yeah, may as well. <laughs> you're you're currently studying a, a topic for which you're passionate, right? You're yep. you, you're psychology. You're enjoying this, um, and that that I think. And I was discussing this with my wife, who who works in e-learning. The main issue with online courses and online learning is what to do when you're not interested in the material you're studying. Now, you may be interested in the material you're studying from a I need the degree point of view. Mm-hmm. And we, we, everybody who's done, uh, you know, post-secondary education and in secondary education, it, heck, all school, right? You're always, you'll always end up with a course that you're not really interested in, but you have to take because it's part of the degree, right? Mm-hmm. I remember uh, back in high school, it was arts. I hated arts. Now I actually, I'm glad I took it, but back then I hated it. Uh, you remember Spanish? Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember? Yeah, exactly. We, we, we Lots were terrible. Lots of Spanish we did. <laughs> Yeah, the only exactly. reason we understood anything is because we're French and it's so similar. <laughs> yeah, but we hated it back then. And then, you know, when I was in my mid twenties, I went down to South America, and I, I was like, man, thank God I paid a little bit of attention in that class, and now I actually enjoy it. Now I want to learn it. Yeah. And so, to me, the underlying problem with with e learning is nobody's found a good way to get it to work if you're not interested in the subject matter, and that is a problem, especially mm. at the high school level. And, and well, you can apply it to K to eight also, but it's there's less online learning for, for elementary level. At the high school level, you're often stuck taking a course you don't really care for. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, if it's online, it's tough. You're not motivated to learn the material. Whereas in a classroom, you can have yeah. students, and I, I, I've, I've experienced this, students that hate your course, but because the teacher sets up a nice, pleasant environment, you can end up liking the course. And I've had the pleasure of having of having that impact on students, students who hated math, leaving the class, enjoying it. That I suspect be... that would be much more difficult in an online environment where there's very little interaction. There, there can be some, yeah. but let's be honest, most courses right now, or text-based interactions. There'll be some, you know, online sessions maybe, but it's not the same as the in-person in- interaction. And that came back to why I, I did not like my courses at university. I was taking courses I was not interested in. I, I had to take them because um, I needed them for the degree. I just have a question about things not being interesting. And so you tune out. If you have a digital thing in front of you, you tune out, you whatever, open a YouTube video. But yep. how is that different from daydreaming in class? Because you're still not interested. I oh, mean, I get what you mean. There's going to be a few, but there are only a handful of exceptional teachers that will draw you in and captivate you, even though you dislike the subject matter. But that's no, I, not the norm. I, 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 
I suspect it's not a few teachers. I'd say there's a few teachers that don't draw you in. I mean, they necessarily always draw in the right reasons, right? Mm -hmm. But think back to, to high school, right? You remember your good and your terrible teachers. You don't remember the ones that were in the middle, right? I, I'm sure I could probably yeah. name someone. It'd take me a while because I don't remember them either. Yeah. But we remember our bad teachers, but they had an impact on us. Mm -hmm. They may have soured our relationship towards the course material, or they may have done the exact opposite because we were like, oh my God, this teacher's so bad. Mm -hmm. And you start talking with your friends and then you end up learning it from your friends and you end up actually liking this material because you learned it from your friends instead of a teacher you didn't like. So that interaction can actually have an impact, which is hard to replicate in an online environment. And there's a lot of ways that people try it. And, you know, again, um, before we started recording, we were actually discussing this and may as well bring it back is mm. often online courses are set up in a way that match the classroom experience. So lesson, 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 uh, discussion, right? Because in the classroom we would talk. So we have to have, you're, you're forced to set up a post in the discussion forum. And then because it's online and people don't care, uh, you have to make it mandatory that you have to reply to one of the posts. Yeah, And so you end up with this really mechanical view. Um, and some people take it to the extreme where you're scheduled, you know, you have to reply to this by then and then reply to that. And you have to reply to at least three with meaningful comments, because if not, then it's too easy to just pretend like you're paying attention. Yeah. And I, I've seen this. It's actually quite funny. I'm sure you've got it in your courses in the discussion groups. Do you often see those comments where somebody just replies, I agree with you. And this is a good valid point, And that's it. Honestly, so they I post had discussion groups, but uh, perhaps it's just me. I haven't been active because okay. in a way this, this podcast is a priority and school is, is, is but, interest, but, but, so you're in, you're also in a school that seems to have a more liberal um, e-learning, right? You're not very structured. It seems like your your participation online is not mandatory, right? Oh, well, I got to ask if you, you are your courses synchronous or asynchronous? So are you, do you have to join at a fixed time to watch the teacher speak? No. Are you watching it. videos? That's what I was going to say is the experience I had from Carlton has been tremendously positive and blew my mind. Like I initially went there for the, the co-op option and, and uh, it turned out that the the video service they offered, because I wanted the in-class instruction, just like you were saying, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of, of interaction and, and you can ask questions more, uh, better in person and all that. And that's why I would have gone to Ottawa U. Anyways, only Carlton had the co-op option. Long story to say that their video service ended up blowing my mind because it's always reliable. There's never any bugs with the interface. Like, on a, my biggest gripe about it is it times you out after like half hour of inactivity. Seriously, well, you, that's so how you, good bring, it is. you actually bring up a, another um, difficulty, and it's gotten a lot better with um, online learning. Is the technology often stands in the way of the learning. Right. Yeah. It's gotten much, much, much better over the, the years. But in the past, you know, it was so complicated to, to get connected that that people would spend an inordinate amount of time learning the platform to be able to learn the course. And as, as someone who's trained teachers to use these platforms, um, it's interesting because a lot of the training plans start by teaching how to use the platform itself and never how to actually use it to teach. So this is how you log in. This is how you reset your password. This is how you see your students. But at, at no point in a traditional training plan where you're training a teacher to use this, do you explain how you would properly use this platform to teach students? And that that's that's a complicated thing. So you I mean, there, there's need... full of degrees in how to do this, right? Yeah, it's... okay. That makes sense. I was going to say, you, you need teacher school to, to change, to adapt to the modern ways of actually teaching. Of course. And that is slow. Yeah. Um, 
for uh, I suspect pretty much everywhere because what I've what I've learned as I've grown up is institutions have inertia and it takes time for things to change um, so e even if we were to properly train every single teacher and and that's miraculous coming out uh, of university and I mean it's miraculous in the sense that we would be able to change that that quickly not in the sense that we could properly train teachers because we can mm -hmm. it's more the sense that we could flip around the program instantly you'd still have that entire mass of people who've been certified that 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 would need to be recertified in some ways yeah. and, yeah. and the problem with that is it's a very complex thing to do because these people are working all day long right and depending on your jurisdiction the training days uh, allocated per year are they're quite minimal you know uh, in ontario i think it's it's four days a year uh quebec it's more i believe it's something like 20 but in the end you know you got to think you know is that a sufficient amount of time to train people on new platforms. Not today, it isn't. not in 2020. Everything changes, like every day, everything changes. Exactly. And so it, it's it's an interesting issue. You know, we, we've gone through recently uh, something that was, I, I wasn't in Canada at this point, but it was a, a point of discussion between the unions and the government where they wanted to make uh, e-learning mandatory. And, and I, I understand where the, the logic came from, from that. And, and there's a financial logic. And there's also a, well, at some point, this is going to be the norm logic, which which also makes sense, right? At some point, there's going to be more and more courses online. And so it makes sense that students get more and more experience with them. That that makes sense. It also saves money to the government. Let's be honest. That's that's another thing, right? Now, that said, yep. you can't just flip a switch and say, let's do it. Because there's all those issues we've talked about, you know. Um, you know, are your teachers able to use this platform? If not, they, they have to be comfortable with it now that they're let's, now that they're all comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Are they able to teach with that platform, which isn't the same thing as using the platform. Right. Just because I know how to log in and create a web page doesn't mean that I'm properly building my course. And that's often another issue. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, course review, um, e-learning course design and stuff like that. And often the main problem that you you see is the course is built as if it was a standard classroom course. So, you know, question, read this, mm -hmm. do that. It makes sense if you're interested in the subject, it might be okay. But yeah. if you're not, it's boring because it's all text and it's very linear and it doesn't, it doesn't step out of the box. But why is it all text? So when I, when in my view of online learning, and I've only had the Carlton experience, but it's with HD video and, you know, like no bugs and, and whatnot. You can download the lectures. You can watch them on your phone, on your computer. You can cast them to your TV. I put it on my bike, like while I'm going for a bike ride and I watch my lectures for hours while I'm cycling. And that experience to me has been so tremendous. And it, it's it's allowed me to discover things I wasn't even setting out to discover, such as the fact that like aerobic fitness leads to increased memory uh, retention. And and um, and it, it, it just, I feel my whole, my entire cognitive system has awakened and is like thirsty. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're like, right now we're comparing two things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we're, we're comparing uh, post-secondary education to like publicly funded school education, right? You're, you're also in a case where you're interested uh, in the subject and that makes a difference. Um, yeah. You're also in a case where teaching uh, in the form of a lecture is an accepted form of teaching. 
That's not the case in the classroom, theoretically, right? At the high school level. But if it's online. So, and, and that's like, wouldn't a video be more engaging than a student reading? Well, not, it is and it isn't, right? Watching a teacher talk in front of a blackboard yeah. is not any more engaging than watching a teacher talk in front of a blackboard in front of the classroom where the teacher is not, the students is not allowed to talk to the te- teacher at all. I don't know, man. I like it. It flips between maybe because it's university level and I haven't seen the high school equivalent of, of what this would look like, but it flips between the PowerPoint slides and then like it actually engages you so much because you end up reading the whole text of the PowerPoint slide as the teacher's talking about, you know, like the, the example they wish to present and your brain is able to tune into that. If you're focused, you, you end up doing both at the same time. And then it switches back to the teacher and it's, yeah, you don't notice that the background's monotonous because your brain is always thinking about, I mean, mm-hmm. there's ways to learning, right? And I think, I think part of the problem is, well, in a way school teaches kids how to learn, but you, if you know how to learn if you know how to recognize a distraction and, and put it aside that's really going to give you an edge i think yeah and that that is that is one of the the other issues that uh, that i wanted to get into is you know as an adult you're much more able to control yourself and it's it's a fact of growing up you know you're also learning to control yourself and that's part of the job that a teacher has is to keep things under control because you at some ages, everyone needs to be reminded to stay focused, right? Mm. Your mind will wander. And why I, what I was getting back, uh, getting to when, when you were talking about video is I, I, I get why that's engaging. And actually I wish we did that more in some of the online courses because most of the courses are not video heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a reason for that. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but imagine, you know, you're in a high school, imagine your 10th, 10th grade self, you know, in the, all the, the, trouble we, we would get into. Imagine being in a classroom where the teacher talks, drones on for the entire period, never asks a question, and there's no interaction. It's boring. But that's just and, a bad teacher. But no, but that's what's gonna happen in an online environment. Like that's, right? if you're just if you're just watching a video in an online course, that's exactly what you're getting. You're getting a bit yeah. more visuals, right? But you're not you're not able to interact with the teacher. I agree. And, and so that 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 brings in the distinction between a synchronous classroom experience and an asynchronous experience a lot of these courses the online courses it's much more profitable for them to be asynchronous it's also a lot easier for them to be asynchronous it's also the the students prefer it as you said because you can be exercising you can be watching this in the tub it doesn't matter you know you're, you're watching a video i still maintain though that that's one of the reasons it's effective is because you're interested in this, the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Another way to look at this is I'm sure you've learned stuff on YouTube just by watching a video of something that interested you. Oh right? my God. Yeah. It's... It, it helps when you're interested in something, it's easy to learn it online. There's tons of resources. The difficulty is when you're trying to teach something that somebody doesn't yeah. care for and yeah. they've got to learn that. And that's tough. Now I want to get back to those, the videos most, if not all of our courses in Ontario do not have a teacher teaching in a video in them. And the reason being, it's a very, it's a very logical issue. You just don't think about it living in a city bandwidth and student access to technology is an issue. Cop out. Now, they just don't want to invest. Carlton's doing it. Ottawa is doing it. I heard. 
auto use investing in bandwidth for people who live in rural Ontario? Well, they switched to online. I'm, I'm not saying they're investing in bandwidth, but oh, sorry, you're t- you're saying rural rural Ontario, but like man, my my thing, I can switch down to 316 kbps like that's less than half of 720p hd it's half hd it's not even hd it's regular that's still a challenge for some really some cases yeah, yeah. now it, it isn't everywhere obviously and that's you can call it a cop-out if you want you know saying well okay i can't they we can't reach five percent of the population so we shouldn't do it is, is not a good reason right no that's a shit um, reason you, you obviously want to reach the most amount of people in the most efficient way possible and for those that can't be reached that way Perhaps you you offer the the audio only option. You just literally a radio. Yeah, button. but then you get you get into equity issues, right? Why? How come people who who are yeah, in Toronto fuck. get the full experience, and oh, people fuck. who are in Moosonee get half the experience, Bloody. right? Yeah. Hey, but this is this is part of the political issue, right? A I university has politics. a control over what it does because it's a private entity and it's it's reasonably small, right? A government has to answer to everyone. Yeah. And it can get very complicated for accessibility issues. And, you know, we're, we're still talking about, you know, what I would qualify as, as typical regular students. Now, if you get into special needs yeah. students, then it gets all that more complicated. Oh, what if no, you've got yeah. a student who's got visibility issues and they can't read the screen? How are you going to deal with that? What if your student's deaf? How do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, what if, you know, course. what if they can't speak? Like all of these things have to be taken into consideration by, by governments when they do that. Yeah, and yeah. that can get very mucky very quickly you know we we had all our courses built uh, and by we i mean the company i worked for who, who did courses they were all built before accessibility was was a thing i guess before it became an issue before it became mandatory by the by, the, by government regulation mm-hmm. and be, making them accessible is a nightmare yeah i know what it's you not mean. saying that we shouldn't do it i know what but, you mean the red tape is is unbelievable and and I'm glad you you brought that up because I, I was failing to see that angle of it. But you know, I I know what <laughs> public uh, worker you know red tape yeah. is like. It's it's a tough thing. I mean, ideally, the the, the logical. I'm not saying it's the, the politically correct thing to do, but the logical thing is to tier your your offering. Right, you do the best you can with what you have. So mm-hmm. for whoever who's got full bandwidth, then we do this. Who doesn't have full bandwidth, then we do that. Now the problem with that is you, you can't logically do that. If you're, if you're going to say that everyone in Ontario has the same chance, because that's not, that won't be true. Right. But that will Um, never be true for anything. Like, well, so we, our government goes through pretty amazing lengths for, um, equity. Right. Um, I don't know if this is still the case, but, um, back when I was getting certified, one of our teachers, uh, was teaching, we did his, um, his practicum, his, uh, his co-op, if you wish in uh, in uh, Moosini or Moose Factory, I forget. It's one of the two. It doesn't matter. They're across the river from each other. The school is in one of the two cities, uh, towns. Uh, I believe it's Moose Factory. And the students have to cross the river to get to school mm-hmm. because it's, it's across the river, right? There's no bridge. So in summer, they take a boat. In winter, they take skidoos across the ice. But in the interim, they can't do either. You can't get a boat because there's ice and you can't take a skidoo because it's too dangerous they fly them with a helicopter to the school because that's the only way to get them to school mm-hmm. because yeah. students have a right to education. Now think of the financial investment required to do that. Yeah. But if you're going to say that you want, that everyone gets an equal chance in, in theory, you have to put that in place. 
Now, you, you'll get people arguing both sides, right? Some people say, well, that's, that's a right, and they have a right to education. That's it. That's what we've got to pay as a society. There's other people that are going to say, this is a complete waste. You know, these people choose to live up there, and it's their f- fault, and it's their problem. You, you'll get opinions on both sides yeah. of the spectrum. Of course. Of course. A- as a teacher, I, 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 I believe every student has, should have a chance to learn. Um, I understand that the system is very complicated because not everyone is in the same area, right? Not everyone has the same access. Getting back to bandwidth. You were saying you can drop the bandwidth down to something very, very small. There's still a reasonable amount of households that are on dial-up in Ontario. But, but you don't manage the, the, the 98% because of the 2%. So I'm not saying disregard the 2% that cannot be... Um, adopting the the mass solution that works for everyone, or even if yeah. my numbers are wrong, let's say, you know, let's say the mass solution works for two thirds of people. That's tremendous. Sure. Like for example, federal government is trying to get EI all online applications, right? They know not every single applicant for EI knows how to use a computer. Yes, even today in 2020, and so they will still accept the legacy application even though they're strongly, you know, making it accessible and, and, and they're managing those exceptional cases as well, where if someone needs to drive over a certain amount of mileage, I believe they were getting reimbursed and, and yeah. all that stuff. So, but you, but you're saying that they're going to these uh, so they're, they're, extensive lengths to ensure equity, right? Which Yeah. Like it gets would, taken care of that, that right. way. It, it won't be, but perfect, it would be difficult but. to address that um, for e-learning. But the thing is, is having equal opportunity needs to be contextualized a little bit more than just the circumstances of, I choose to live here. Like if I choose to live in Northern Canada, and, and, and I'm using the word choice, I'm also choosing to have access to a lower level of resources in general, whether those are educational, nutritional, everything. Like there's just less of a reality. So I'm not saying that the solution is for them to move, but that could be a solution. And again, people have the choice. We can go anywhere we want in this country. We are citizens of the country of Canada. Yeah. And again, that's that, that would be a, a typical point of view, um, maybe more on the conservative spectrum. Of it's, course. It's your choice. So that's that's your fault, right? But you know, the, the counter argument to that is what happens if you don't have a choice, right? What happens if you work you're in a very specialized industry, uh, I don't know, a mining and you can only do it in those uh, communities. And so there's no, that you can't move because you have no job if you move. And that can be another issue, right? Mm. And you see this in Northern Ontario, especially um, cases where like the entire community is built around a single industry. Yeah. And if that industry closes, the entire community dies. And not only that, all their money goes away because their houses are now worth nothing. Yeah. Fort so, Mac had that a few years ago, I yeah. think. And I mean, you're gonna you're gonna hit it with the tar sands if you're not hitting it right now uh, with the oil price slump. Yeah, you're. It, it's a it's a difficult situation to manage, right? And there's the reason that there's no solution is because there's good arguments on either side, right? And that's why things kind of stagnated. I I'll be very curious as to where this eventually uh, goes to, because at some point, for example, we started m- uh, making it a requirement for people to have phones, right? Not cell phones, just phones, right? If you need service, call this number. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I don't have a phone? Well, that's your problem nowadays. Now that's seen as a requirement. You have to have a phone. At Which some point, realistically, most people do, right? Like, right, but you're, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, about uh, two weeks ago, I came back into Canada. I didn't have a SIM card. I couldn't go buy one because of COVID, right? 
I didn't have a phone. Yeah. Do you but- know how inconvenient not having a phone is? And by that, I mean no phone number. Oh, it's it's an essential service. Like, it is nearly impossible to get anything done. Well, the, you, it, yeah. Sorry. You go somewhere, and they're like, we'll call you back. I don't have a number. I, I, I can't. I order online. I, I don't have a number. What do I do? Yeah. A- and at some point, internet access will become that too. It'll become mandatory. Um, and you, you, you end up with these cases called like, kind of like d- digital discrimination, right? Um, Buddy, if, it's essentially mandatory already. If you live in the Western world, I'm sorry, but without the internet, you're not living as a fully functioning human being, an integral yeah. member of that society. Like it, we're right. already there. I agree, but then what do you do for communities that that, that have internet I, access issues? But again, you don't manage the one percent. You manage the the largest chunk of the population, and you establish solutions that are less optimal, but still able to provide a service to those that are not able to get the full package. It's it's really that simple. It, it, I don't think it should. You know, if 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 the split is ninety ten, or if the split is sixty seven thirty three, I I you know I think the proportional amount of time should be spent on the person that can be helped, and 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 uh, because at the end of the day, we all owe it to ourselves to help ourselves, man. You know, yeah, and I, I get it. We, we can't just from we can't a, just manage a, to the lowest com, uh, lowest uh, level. Yeah, and uh, Alex, I mean, I I agree with you in principle. You know, it, logically, just because you can't help everyone doesn't mean you should help. It, it doesn't mean you should help no one, right? I get that. In principle, I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's it's a complex thing to implement because it's mm-hmm. very you can very quickly get into situations where you're like oh man, like I want to help that person. But if I do this, then I can't help them either. And this is why, you know, this is, it works at a university level because you're already kind of paying a premium to go there. So you're, you already, you're, you, people who go to university usually have a certain background and that background will include access to the resources to be able to have access to the internet or well, you living have it, in a, you have it just being there, just being at yeah, school. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That'll be provided. Right. But in, in provincial schools, it's, it's different um, because your, your mandate is to, to help reach everyone, every single child, no matter what background, no matter you yeah. know, what, what history, no matter what financial, socioeconomic background, whatever. So what do you do with, with students who do not have a computer at home? That still exists. It's obviously less and less common, mm-hmm. but that still exists. What do you do with students who do not have a smartphone? What do you do with students who don't have an iPad or whatever? Right. And that's often been an issue for me when I when I'm teaching in the classroom, because there's some really good stuff online, like some really useful stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm thinking just in math, uh, a website called Desmos, which mm-hmm. is amazing for graphing. It, it, like it, it helps. It has helped so many students. I actually helped a student today with a figure math out. And uh, um, that requires an Internet connection and it requires some device. So before I use it in the classroom, the first question I have to ask to everyone is, do you guys have access to something that yeah. would give you access to Desmos? I get how that's annoying, man. I get how that's annoying. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against you. I just wish... I'm, I'm, uh, not say, I'm not saying it's annoying. I'm saying it's something to take into consideration. Well, that's I've never it. had a case happen where a student's like, you know what? I don't have access to this. And if that happened, okay. I would take it upon myself to find it a suitable replacement, whether it be, you know, a cheap iPad on Kijiji or used laptop or something so that that, that student could actually at least benefit from this. Now we're, we're in most of our schools, uh, we've gotten to a point where every school has a Chromebook 
access. So mm -hmm. students can, in theory, borrow those, right? But you, you always have to remember before you deploy these new things that you got to make sure everyone can use them or else at some point you're, you're not being fair. Now, I, I understand what you're saying. Maybe, maybe we don't need to be fair. You know, maybe the best thing to do is to help everyone we can. And, you know, if we can't help you that, so, so be it, you know, I, I get that from an efficiency point of view, it makes sense. But from a political stance and from an equity point of view, it, it doesn't, you know, you just because the student grew up poor, does it mean they don't deserve to learn and maybe get out of poverty? Yeah, but bro, it's it's always it's always back on the person, man. Listen, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if my parents didn't take a big fucking risk to escape what we escaped for a better place and mostly for my better future, right? And my better future in uh, late 1980s, pretty much all the 1990s, that better future was US of A or anything close to it. Yeah. <laughs> especially Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And so there's, there's a level, like there's a lot of people who died taking a risk for a better future. So I don't mean to sound incompassionate, but I, I just want to drive home the point that if your circumstances suck, you can be a whiner about it and they're still going to suck tomorrow. And you might choose to whine again about it or do something better. Like if you're a parent and your child doesn't have access to education in the year 2020, I'm sorry, but your first priority in life is to figure out how to beyond food and shelter, get your child education. And that education will help them build relationships with their peers and all this stuff. Like, eh, again, we, we can't just manage to the lowest denominator. Because no, at that uh, point, uh, we're uh, being uh, unfair to the people that who can thrive and, and they're underserved. And they should have access to technology um, because they can and because most people can. And those that can't should aspire to have access to it because we have no choice, man. It's here. Everything is online. This is online. Everything. Yeah, no, I get it, man. But again, you're one of the success cases, right? Your parents came out of poverty to, to what I would classify as quite a successful uh, life in Canada, right? It's very easy for us to conclude, therefore, that everyone can do that. That success and, came and with a lot of hard work, man. Like yeah, that course, success dude. came with a split family with one person working in a foreign country. Like th that's again why I have little compassion. I'll listen, but then it's like pick your ass up because you can improve well, your circumstances. I, well, I will agree with you that there, there's a certain, there's probably reasonably large fraction of people that could benefit from kicking themselves in the ass and, and getting there are literally people who will not be able to get anything better because that's that's the hand life dealt them i i think back to um to a a, a student i had a sweet girl super nice lots of stuff went wrong in her life you know it just it, it luck of the draw it happens right i'm i'm sure she made some bad decisions i'm sure she made some good ones stuff didn't line up for her right mm-hmm Next thing she knows, she has three kids. She's alone. She is trying to work two jobs to support her family and can't make more than minimum wage because she doesn't have the paperwork to get anything higher. And she can't take time to go study because she needs to work constantly to support her family. She's now stuck. She has no solution to this problem. Okay. But whose She's problem even, is that? Whose well, problem is that? Wh whose In problem theory? is it that she got pregnant? Who made uh, the 
choice, <laughs> right? Like, well, a, a, arguably, it's not necessarily just her choice, right? But like, man, is you know, not everyone is fortunate to have a good supporting structure where they come from. Like that, I exactly, agree dude. with. Like some, and I, you just have to. We just have to humble ourselves and realize that we were still quite lucky. You know, you and I made some mistakes in our lives, and we got out of it. You know, we didn't make mistakes that ended up costing us our way out when we got older. Now, I don't. I certainly don't want to say having a child is a mistake because it's also a blessing. Um, it's not but, that. It's you shouldn't like. Maybe you should use protection, and and maybe you didn't have the maybe, guidance maybe to you know thought, about protection. Maybe you thought you were you were in love, and you'd met the partner of your dreams, and well, they were rich, yeah, and they no. were they were supporting you, and you no. were supposed to support, support the kids. Right? In this society, man, is two thousand twenty. If you think that you're making, and first of all, you're not an adult, like you're not making super rational decisions fully because your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. And anyone who thinks that's offensive can look up the policies for insurance companies, how they rate, you know, their people. But like, if, if you think it's a sound decision to have a child as a teenager and be unable to support them on minimum wage and provide them with, with, a, with a fair chance at life. I'm sorry, you made a poor decision to bring that child in this world. And you made some poor decisions that led to, to, Okay. Well, yeah. regardless, let's 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 say I entertain the idea that you made a poor decision. What, what do you do now? You deal with it. Okay. But so it's not on you, you or I to to solve that problem. Of course. Or the education. Pick, you, you know, your argument is pick yourself up. Well, in some cases, you can't. You are now screwed. But from the education system's perspective, if that person, like that person, and we all have circumstances, man. We all have hardship. I have a lot of hardship. I've thought about a lot of fucking not good things because of my hardship, you know? So we, I get hardship, but I also don't allow myself to, to bitch and whine about it because what I notice is no one really wants to hear about it. Yeah, and that, you know, that I'll agree with you. I mean, we've, we've really diverged from talking yeah. about you know, ec equitable access to technology. Yeah. But the, the main thing I'm saying is poverty isn't always a choice. I, I, it certainly isn't always a choice. It can be a result of a couple of bad choices that, that can certainly happen. Uh, but you know, there, there could also just be not, not a result of a choice. Maybe, maybe you got, uh, in an accident, you had a young child and you're now a quadriplegic and you're, that's it. You know, you're, you're on disability now. And how are you going to make that child's life any better? You can't, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're at a limit where, you, 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 you know, you're saying, you know, get, get yourself more jobs. You can't physically, you are now limited. There's a point where you're going to hit, you may hit yeah. a wall and you can't pick yourself up. Oh, and yeah. that, that's why there's a social net. That's why we have a socialist society with support in place to take care of, of cases like this. Now, granted, yeah. not every situation is like that. Oh, dude, like, first of all, I concede with you. I fully agree. And second of all, a lot of those outcomes are very tragic because my, of course they are. my exposure to, to policing has really painted a, a very dark picture of what is the ultimate path for people who turn to poor decision-making as teenagers, right? Of course. Like I've met a lot of those people and I've, I've volunteered at, at Shepherds of Good Hope for the better part of two and a half years, I believe. Um, and uh, and I, I got to know some of these people, and it's like, oh my god, man! Like it just it broadens your perspective of what could have been, or where you, you know. Every time you talk to someone who's down and out, or you know, in the gutter, it's not the correct term, but 
they all have a pretty rough story, man. Of course. I, you know, you, um, you remember um, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's one line in there where I, it's, I, I summary agree with it, but he states, you know, everyone deep down believes that they're always doing the correct thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that they, they are, but they're, they're, they, they believe deep down that, you know what, I'm, I, I don't know, um, you know, setting fire to this because it'll rid the world of that problem or whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah. everybody believes they're doing the correct thing. And deep down, I, I've often found that by talking to people, you end up finding that those people who you think are, are like are bad people, man, they're just the result of a lot of bad stuff happening. And, yep. you know, we met, we met a woman while traveling who had, you, you, you looked at her and you're like, oh my God, like this, this, this person is like a society, societal reject. Uh, maybe she'll rob me. I don't know. You know, you're, you're, it's prejudice, right? It sucks. But, you know, our life as humans, we, we have initial impressions of people, right? We got to talk to her. Man, that woman had the, like the worst life I've ever heard. And you look at her like, yeah, I, I can kind of see why she's in this situation here. Now, you can say she chose that path. I can say it's kind of a result of how things turned out for her. And, you know, I, I talked about that, that student that, that, that had kids at a young age, you know. As far as I, I know, she's a great mother, you know. She just ended up with things happening at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And now she's in a situation where it's hard to pull herself out. Mm-hmm. You know, she even set up a GoFundMe to, to get her some money to go study because yeah. she wants to get out, but she f- like financially can't. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And I think again, we should, we should humble ourselves. Um, you know, I've often been very critical of people who are uh, in debt, you know, at, at our age. I, I've always seen people in debt at our age as being, you know, just terrible with money. Because mm-hmm. how could you be in debt? You know, mm-hmm. aside from a mortgage, because of course. Well, in debt is having more liabilities than assets, really. So, of course, yeah. yeah. Thank you for the the classical definition. And I've always looked down on them, and I'm like, you know what? I I I pulled myself up, and I never, you know, I never wasted money, and I've always been intelligent, and I've worked hard all my life, and I've been working since I was 18, and blah blah blah. And I've always felt kind of that that looking down at people who who had um you know monetary issues but over time i've been humbled you know people have reminded me you know i was lucky enough to live at my parents' house while studying that saved me a yeah. hell of a lot of money i was lucky enough or one could argue maybe i worked hard enough i would also say i was probably lucky enough to get scholarships which made my studies essentially free i was also lucky enough or hardworking enough that I, I understood the material I was studying to the point where I was able to manage a job and study. The result is I came out of stu- school with no debts. In fact, I came out of school with money. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. And you, you just, you, you've got to, rem- you know, when you look at other people, you got to look at, at your path and remember that you might've been very lucky to, to have gone through that. Oh my path, God, you know? dude, I am. Oh, hundred percent. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be where I am. Again, starting all the way back from parents leaving Romania and having gone to good schools here, and we all went to De La Salle in that program, right? And and, and that was great. Um, it's um, uh, yeah, it's just a personal responsibility factor, you know. 
Yeah. That's, that, that's, yeah. that's all I was saying is, is, and I'm trying, like, it's harder when you're younger because you don't really know what you want out of life. But like at our age, it's actually, it's easier if you know what you want, because then you can just turn down the noise. Yeah, of course. And, and I, that, that's another podcast I would love to, to hear about at least is how do you decide what you want? And, you know, that would sound like it's a very simple thing, right? But it's actually quite a, quite a profound um, question to ask yourself. You know, um, I was reading a, um, a book the other day, I think uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. And mm. he was, one of the lines in the book is, you can, have, um, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, okay, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, right? Say, say I want to be, a, you know, I want to climb Mount Everest. I could probably do it if that was the only thing I focused on, mm-hmm. you know, and my life was devoted to that. I mean, proof is most people do. Uh, uh, sorry, most people have it as, as a goal, end up doing it, right? Yeah, it's achievable if you set out right. to it. But how do you decide what, what's, what is your actual goal in life, you know? Some people do. So some people have, I'm like, you know what? My goal is to have three kids, a dog, and a house with a white picket fence. And that's my goal. You know, but what I've found as I've, I've grown older is my goal is still kind of unclear to me, you know, and that that's a tough thing. If you don't really know your goal in life and you've gone through that, right. If you don't have a purpose, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough to figure out where you're going. It's, it's I, tough to plan. I really see it uh, the way Maslow explained it in his pyramid, where we seek out our basics. We seek out our food and our shelter. And once we've secured that, we seek out acceptance and love and companionship by our families and by peers. And then that leads to self-esteem. And then if you have all of those things, then great. Then the next step is self-actualization. But how the hell are you going to self-actualize? And and when I say self-actualization, I mean, you got all the basics. You don't have to worry about feeding yourself. You don't have to worry about uh, your social circle. You got your friends, you got your family, you got everything. Okay, so now we're on to finding that greater purpose. And, well, I guess the, the first thing is no one can find it for you, right? It just, it has to, it has to start resonating from within. Like, for me, for, first time I, I rode a motorcycle, I'll give perfect example. Never ridden motorcycles in my life. Always been a speed guy, always been a car guy. You know that about me. Got on a bike when I was 24 years old. <laughs> Instant, like, oh, Oh, this is it. Oh, this is yeah. it. This is it. Um, I did a lot of drag racing as a kid because there was no other outlet. And then it led into autocross. Then I got on a racetrack with a motorcycle, took a two-week race school weekend. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Never go back to autocross. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm lucky, but I don't know. Is there anything that, like, make when you think about it, it's like, oh, my God, that's super exciting. Is there anything like that for you? No, man. And that's that's the weird thing. What about marathon, like running a marathon, the way you feel after, or even after training for a couple hours? Yeah. No way. No. And, and you know, that's been kind of the question that's been going through my mind because I always thought my, my, uh, my goal in life was to travel and I've done it, you know? And I, before that, I thought my goal in life was to meet the woman of my dreams and I have, and it's, it's interesting because when you achieve those goals, then you're like, well, shit, what do I do now? You know, what, what, what is my goal in life? Yeah. And that I think is the biggest problem that you've got to solve before you can even start doing any of these things. Cause once you've got a goal, then you can start working towards it. Right. Buddy. Absolutely. 
Uh, I've always had reasonably soft goals, right? My goal is I want a six pack, but I don't really want it because if I did, I'd actually be doing the effort. No, to do you it. don't. You don't well, exactly. Least right? But in principle, chaser. I'd like one, you know, <laughs> yeah. just for one day, just to say, you know, I had a six pack, I'd take a yeah. photo and I'll, I'll remember forever. But um, finding that, that actual goal, that actual thing you want to do in life, yeah. setting that path is it's tough so you, know? you don't have a thing with sports right there's no sport that particularly draws your interest okay um music no projects things to grow on the side things you want to get better at things that interest you like do you spend your time see that i think that's it man is is whatever it is i mean i'm sure there's plenty of things you enjoy doing but you, you just got to start doing a few yeah, no, I, and I, I'm, I'll figure it out one day, but I think that's one thing that we often overlook is what is my actual goal? And often people will think, oh man, like I, I'm, you know, you, you know, as you were saying, you know, your goal was to get jacked, you know, was that really your goal? Like, no, your, your goal was to get attention, right? Exactly. Or your goal was to feel desirable or, or, or whatever, right? And then if you're willing to admit that to yourself, then then you can maybe think, well, am I actually, is that a valid goal? And am I going in the correct direction for that? Right. And, you know, I, I've, I've been keeping a list and I'm, I'm, I don't know if you have, it's been kind of fun. I've kept a bucket list, you know, yeah. over the years of things I want to do. Right. Yeah. Right on. Okay. What's on your bucket list. Perfect. Uh, well, actually some of it's gone off, but you know, what's interesting is as I've gone through that bucket list, a lot of it just, was meaningless. You so know, it, it, it didn't mean what, what I wanted. A lot of it was travel, right? I wanted to go to Chernobyl yeah. and see that the, it was very cool to see, right? Yeah. How Has was it changed that my point? life? Maybe I've accumulated a bit of radiation, but was like, there vegetation growing? Like I've seen, I don't know if on YouTube or on TV, but uh, dude, it, it looked like, like any other place in the world. Oh, okay. It so was it's fully completely, okay. except it had some ruins which were kind of cool or pretty creepy. Huh. And, you know, if you walked around with a Geiger counter, you could find some hot zones, which were kind of cool. You know, like, oh, this is normal. Oh, okay. This thing that you know, is completely looks normal to me yeah, is yeah. super dangerous. Right. That was kind of interesting, but has it changed my life? No, man. Like, like I've had a, like, a, I've got a list of places I want to go see, right. On the bucket list. I've, I've seen a couple. I'm glad I went. It's opened my mind. But in the end, what I've realized in traveling a lot, is I now have a better idea of what the world looks like mm -hmm. and how lucky we are to live in Canada. Yeah. But I didn't realize it as much until I saw how rough it can be in other places in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't just mean, you know, like uh, overpopulation or pollution or just access to resources. Man. Yeah. 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 Basics, basics. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've always found it funny now uh, that we shit in our drinking water here. Like we, we literally do that because it's the same water, right? So we're, we're, we're literally flushing drinking water away, which as someone who had to carry around his drinking water in a bottle for a year yeah. is a weird thing to me now because yeah. I couldn't trust water. And so that it's stuff. I, if there's one thing I could recommend to everyone is go to places like India or go to places, and they're tough as nails to go to, man. Mm -hmm. They're tough as hell to go to. But you, you get there, and you're like, man, I, I, I want to go back home now. 
And I now know how, how lucky I am to live in a country where sanitation is prioritized, where pollution is not an issue. And don't get me wrong, India is a very, it's a very special place. It's a very interesting place to be, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's hard if you're used to um, North American uh, standards of living, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that the Indian way is, is bad. What it means is our way is very different and I'm not adapted to their way of living at all. And it makes me appreciate even more, you know, that I've got a soft mattress to sleep on there. Like the, the, the number of people we saw just sleeping on, on, on the cement and they slept fine because they've always slept on, on the ground. Mm-hmm. And for them, that's, that's comfortable. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we've grown soft, you know, mm-hmm. as consumption, but anyways. consumption in our, in our society, man. Like I think we've grown towards convenience and towards consumption. We, we sit all day long. Our work has become like, we're animals. We're homo sapiens. We are mammals. We need to spend some level of energy. That's why we feel good after yeah. working out. And we spend all this time sitting in front of a computer screen, working or creating something. Here we are sitting. We sit in our cars. We yeah. The only time we're fucking standing is in line at the grocery store. But there's just this inevitable societal push, I feel, towards technology and that good or bad access for everyone or not at the end of the day everything's moving towards automation and um it just seems like it's unstoppable like it, there, there is no it's almost like we have this fascination with building this digital reality that somehow is one day going to be equivalent and surpass what we can do in person and yeah, it, in some I, ways I'm, it I'm has not- but yeah, I, I'm my, my I, I'm just as worried as you about about that. What they call the singularity, right? That the point where, where the machines end up being uh, better than we are at, at, at all tasks. Um, but what worries me more right now is actually the psychological impact of technology on on just general humans, right? I I'm not a a tween right now. I don't know how a tween thinks. You know, but what's a tween? I suspect a, a it's tween is somebody who's be, between a child and a teenager. Oh yes, yeah. Between right, like ten um, to twelve type thing. Yeah, okay. exactly. I suspect their way of thinking is quite different from mine because they have grown up um, in a world that's completely different than mine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the the next you know in the next five years, the kids that are going to be born in mean, a completely different world again. Yeah, yeah. That said, from my my point of view as someone who has lived through not having technology, I question. I don't. I don't feel comfortable with you know that that type of lifestyle of being connected all the time. You know, it, it used to be, and I'm, I'm sure you did that too. You know, you go out and play with your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you would go out to the park, and if you were bored, you were bored, and that was it. You were just bored. You sat and. You might have read an Archie comic or you'd done a puzzle or you were bored. But you learned how to deal with it. And there was a certain value yeah, exactly. to that. Exactly. There was a value now, to that, right? I, as someone who is connected most of the time, um, have trouble being bored. I have mm. a hell of a lot of trouble being bored. And I, I, I wonder how, how kids are. You know, Can they deal with, with being disconnected? And there, there's a lot of studies out there that seem to show that it, it's, it's it's quite bad. Actually, they go through withdrawal and they, yeah. they can go through depression. And some some friends of mine actually have um, have kids, 
and they they've they've raised them in a more traditional manner, I guess. And I look at them and I'm like, well, these kids seem you know seem to be doing well. You know, mm-hmm. they they don't really use technology. They're outside all the time. Their parents are very active, so they take them you know running. They take them skiing. They like they're always doing exercise. You know, now maybe these people will be misadapted to the future because everyone will be connected or maybe, you know, these people will be able to better balance their lives and say, you know what? Okay. I, I, I need to go out for a walk right now. I need to go in, in a forest to calm down, to bring my brain down to a certain regular level to now operate my, I don't know, you know, holographic 3d printer or some, some, something that's going to exist in the future. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's going to deal is, is that's going to be. I don't know how I feel about raising a child entirely digitally either. I mean, God knows that we kind of went through similar things uh, when we were young, right? We were raised by the TV, right? Mm Because what else are you going to do? You watch cartoons, you watch Saved by the Bell, you, I don't know what what else you watch, something in Romanian, I guess, to to fill the time, right? We were raised by the TV. Television is communist propaganda. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you were raised by communist propaganda. (laughs) Go Ceausescu, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it can't all be bad if I go by my own values, right? I, I learned a lot from television and maybe some bad things. But I also know that, you know, I was one of those kids who was raised most, not, not I wouldn't say mostly by the TV, but my parents were not very interested in yeah. outdoor activities, right? And so I've grown up, I, I would say quite lazy. You know, I do not enjoy being outside and doing exercise i had forced myself to and maybe an hour in i'll enjoy it you know shout out to the podcast here um <laughs> but it's tough for me I, I was never it's not a value that i was ever raised with yeah. you know i don't particularly like the first thought that comes to mind when i've got some spare time is not hey i'll go for a run it's, see i've adopted that buddy because i know that that contributes to my good health and I, yeah. Like as I've aged, I've started to prioritize that uh, okay. eating better, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I, I found that that once you get the ball rolling, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, right now I'm in a situation where I've got tons of excuses uh, that are semi valid to not work out. And so I'm not getting that ball rolling. Right. But once I get that ball rolling after maybe three or four days, it'll be easier as long as I don't stop it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, going back to your point, injury is a tough thing like that, right? If you, you hurt yourself and you can't work out, it's tough to get that ball rolling again. Now, you'll feel withdrawal initially, like, man, I, I need to work out, I need to work out. But after a while, you'll get so used to that new lifestyle that it's tough to get back into oh, it. Oh, buddy, don't don't even remind me. <laughs> yeah, well, man, I've gone through so many cycles of it, you know, running for years. Uh, mm. It seems odd to me now, but when I started running, I, I would stop running during winter yeah. because I didn't run outside. I didn't have a treadmill, so I'd wait. You know, I would run from spring to uh, autumn. So as I've yeah, right uh, right now, no, right now is not the time to start a new fitness regime that you're going to commit for the next three to six months because your circumstances are super random. You're living temporarily, all of that. Well, um, they were saying, but am I going to? As I said, I've got tons of excuses not to. No, it's on, it's on you, bro. It's it, but that's it. As long as you realize that, as long as you you recognize when you tell yourself the excuse that that's what it is. And my level of, of, uh, 
of avoidance is such that the reason I'm not running is I don't have my running shoes, right? I don't have any running shoes. Uh, I didn't bring them when we traveled. And I, you know, all I have is the clothes that we were traveling with for the last year. My running shoes are at the other end of the province at my, my wife's parents' house, which I'm going to eventually go to. And one of the reasons I don't really want to go there now is because once I go there, I'm going to have my running shoes and I won't have any excuses not to go running anymore okay. because so, the shoes are there. So you have a, you have a, a I'm, I'm avoiding as you many have people a, do. A, a determination issue, right? Because you know the benefits. Like, I don't have to sell them to you. You just, you're not really motivated to do it for the sake of either increasing your fitness or your health or your looks. Like, none of those things are must be very driving forces to go and exercise. No, but, but I'll tell you this. The, the better part of the point I was making is that you know, they, they've proven it like with, with any kind of intervention for people who don't feel good. So usually for depression, like SSRIs and all this stuff, they're only so effective. And especially when you withhold the placebo effect, they're very, very minorly effective and have tremendous uh, side effects and all this stuff. And if you would, you know, if you compare any kind of workout as a flip side, the benefits that it produces in terms of overall, and I'm not even talking just depression, anxiety, I'm talking reduced, reduced cardiovascular disease and obesity, all that stuff. If you could put that in a pill, the efficiency of that pill is, is, I don't know, it's like five or six times stronger than any other treatment possible today in terms of like self-healing and, and stuff like that. So. Of course now. Um, and that, that's, I have a little personal theory on this and I'm not, I, I've never validated it. I've just seen it from people around me. Right. Often when I talk to people who are all out exercising a lot, it's usually because something else is not going well in their life. Now it doesn't always, that's certainly not always the case. No, it can be an escape. You think it, it wasn't it, an escape for Goggins? Of course it was an escape for Goggins. Of course. It's an escape for but, me but too. I'll fully admit it. What I'm saying is, and you pointed out, you know, like, Right now, I'm not exercising for physical fitness because, frankly, I'm I'm reasonably satisfied with how I look. You know, I, I'm not. I don't feel like I need to lose much weight. I'm not. I'm not exercising um, for mental fitness because I don't feel that off either. You know, I I feel reasonably normal. You know, now you've seen me uh, when we lived together go through phases where I was not well at all. And what was, I don't know if you remember, but I was running constantly yeah. because that's how I was coping. That was your coping mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. I found it tougher as my life has gotten, I would say, better to exercise because I feel less of a need to because it. it's, I don't need to cope, you know, and that's, it's kind of a, a frustrating thing. You know, you'd like, to, you'd like to be able to still want to exercise even if your life's going well, right? I don't want to have to choose between my life is shit yeah. and I'm in shape and my life is great and I'm out of shape. You know, so I'd like to be able to do both. It's the but the motivation's not there. That's it. Yeah, it's the yeah. difference between a coping mechanism versus a lifestyle. And the only way a, a coping mechanism can become a lifestyle is through repetition, which then becomes momentum and then momentum becomes identity. And then that, yep. and then that actually, once it becomes identity, you've, you've already crossed the finish line. And you'll keep crossing that finish line every time you head out because it's already part of you. Like when you're talking about, you know, people who do this a lot, like that's, that's already part of their identity. And I felt yeah. that way last year when I was going out a lot, man, I was going, I think I was 
couple hundred kilometers a week sometimes on on the bike. It was like, just, yeah, I just wonder how you make it your identity, man. Cause I choose to, I think I have the yeah. choice. No, no, no. But hear me out. I have the choice. I have taken a lot of risk to have the privilege of that choice. So I'm not going to sabotage it. That's why I'm going to spend the three hours a day going for my bike ride and working out and going in the sauna and meditating because I made a choice to drop my fucking career. That was making me miserable so I can focus on becoming better. And if I don't spend at least full-time hours each and every day, or at least five hours a week doing that, that I'm failing myself at the choice that I made. That's where it's coming from, bro. I need to motivate myself, man, because guess what? I ain't got no brother, no sister, no parent, no no one who's going to motivate me. I just got David Goggins and all the other books that I read and a bicycle and a gym membership that I can't wait to go back to once they open, and I'm good. But that's a yeah. choice I'm making, and I'm taking the, the the risks with that choice. I guess it's because when you know, as you know, I've been running for I don't know, like 15 years now, or, or something, maybe a bit less. Um, but anyways, I, I I I gave it a good go. You know, at some point, I was I re, I remember you, you and your friends were laughing at me because I was I'd taken it upon myself to run everywhere. You earned so a nickname, to, Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that point, you know, when when I'd forgotten something in the car, I ran to the car. I, we were at the movies, I think, and you guys just laughed. Um, and I was I was really giving it a good go. Like I want this to be who I am, you know, because I I enjoy running. <laughs> and. What I found is it's 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 hard to change who you are, right? Deep down, who I am is is a reasonably lazy person, you know. And so for me, working out involves a lot of fighting myself every single day. It does get a lot easier, mm-hmm. but it's also hard to keep it up constantly. I don't know what the longest stretch I've ever gone, you know, without a, a reasonably a reasonable break in running. Mm-hmm. I, I suspected something around four or four and a half months without missing one, one of my trainings. But at some point when something stops me from running, you know, whether it be on, I'm on a trip and I can't logically run because I'm in the middle of, you know, Delhi or, or whatever. At some point I fall back into my old ways. Well, you, know? you also haven't had the most stable pattern to give you that benefit of doubt. But what we got to do, Pierre, is we got to find you something. But like, I don't care what it is. You want to take up knitting, man? I'm, I'm cool with it. I won't judge. But we just something to give you some projects, some purpose, some, I don't know. I don't know, man. I I, I just, um, I wonder, I, I suspect a lot of people go through this at some point. Yeah. And they, they start to wonder, you know, what's my, what's my point in life? And it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's not an easy question to answer, you know? You can try a whole bunch of stuff. You can say, oh, my, my point is to, I don't know, help the elderly or do volunteer work or to teach. It's actually the, the reason I want to go back in the classroom in September is I need to find a meeting uh, to, to my jobs. Um, not to say that what I was doing didn't have meaning for certain people, but at some point I would like to feel like I'm giving back, you know, um, maybe that'll be the meeting for me. I, who knows, right? Um, but it, it's a, it's a weird existential crisis, which you don't have to face if you're not, you know, in a society where your, your food is easy to get, where resource security That's is it. easy to get, you know? That's it. Existential crisis. Exactly. I don't, I don't recall. Well, Goggins spoke about this a little bit, but 
um, there's stories about people, you know, who set these, these really lofty goals, you know, like say, I want to, I want to win a, an Ironman or something. Right. And they come from nothing and then they do it. And then once they've hit that goal, they fall right back to where they were. And that actually, that happened to Goggins, that, right? At the that start happened his, to a, a boxer, I think. It happened yeah. to a, a, a boxer. He went from yeah. being like way overweight, won the world championship, and then went right back to being like feeling miserable, depressed, back to overweight. Exactly. And the, the reason behind that is you really, one, you really have to want it. But two, like your goal has to be, it's, it's got to be elastic. You've got, always got to be aiming for something else. Yeah. Which is why when I, when I run, I try to register to at least one marathon a year or one or two or three half marathons to force myself to, oh, well, I'm training, so I don't have a choice because in three months I've got to run this thing. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't hate them. I, they're, they're fun, but they've gotten boring, right? I've run enough half marathons to know what a half marathon feels like. And no, you need a new challenge. Can, you need a new challenge. Running's of always course. the same anyway. Unless you love that feeling and that you can get in a zone and you're happy being in that zone, like listening to something you really enjoy. But if you if you don't get that anymore, this won't be your your thing, you know? Yeah, well, and that that's the thing, right? I, I suspect some people don't need that much change in their lives, but others, I, like me, I, I need variety, yeah. right? I need new things from time to time. And, um, yeah, now I'm looking for a new goal and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the only person out there that's, uh, we'll find your purpose. We'll find your purpose, man. Yeah. And on a, on a closing point, actually, like, you know, you were saying the point of, of life and what is the point and and where to go is funny. We were talking about school earlier, but I I feel like that should be something that's talked about in school. And and I don't feel like that's, that should be just home class in high school one time and you forget about it. You never remember what, what was said. I feel like, you know, training yourself to be an effective adult of society should be part of the schooling system from grade one, from kindergarten. Like, and, and discovering, discovering who you are and what you want, because I, well, at least in my case, when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted. I'm just like, I guess I'm going to university because my parents expected of me. Right. There's, there's two, there's two things here. Um, one, I completely agree with you. Uh, I've always found it funny that you can graduate uh, high school without knowing how to fill in your income tax. Um, <laughs> yeah, such a good point. No, it, it's, it's, it's quite funny because there's actually one course um, where they do teach you this. Um, and um, I've had the pleasure of teaching it. And the, the, the sad thing is, is that that course is often seen as like an inferior course because it's for people who have no intention of doing any post-secondary education. So you're going straight to the work market. So because of that, because you're not going to go post-secondary, we're going to teach you something useful is basically how that course goes. So they teach you how to budget. They teach you how to do your income tax. Really basic math. That's certainly true. But man, like why is that course not mandatory is beyond me because it actually teaches useful stuff. Now, I, I did a you know I, I studied math, I studied physics, so a lot of the stuff I learned in high school math was useful to me. Even some of the stuff that people would say is never useful, right? Mm-hmm. It it was useful to me. I suspect though that for the majority of people, some of that stuff wasn't. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Now it is useful in the sense that it develops your thinking process, it exposes you to new things, but it doesn't directly apply. So yes, I agree with you. I don't get why we don't teach that. I 
I suspect it's because it's not seen as being as um, elegant. And my more conspiratorial mind thinks that if we did, then a whole swath of the economy would start to suffer. Like who would need H&R Block, right? Or, you know, if everybody knew how to, I don't know, fix their own cars, then we would need mechanics, right? Yeah. That's not exactly true. Obviously, you'd still need some, but there's when you're in an economy that's based off services ideally you don't want everyone to be able to do everything on their own because then you're not feeding the system right you need people to consume for that for that system to work the other thing i wanted to say is i'm sure some of that stuff was actually taught to us but we purposely chose to ignore it you remember that core that course uh um identité à l'adolescence uh yeah i yeah it's vague isn't it i thought that was home class i i only remember having one class like this it was. Yeah. It was only one class. Okay. It was, I believe, in 10th grade. Somewhere, and everyone yeah. hated it because it was actually kind of an inter- a useful class. But we uh, we were all either not mature enough or, yeah. or whatever. Well, that, that's they, what I mean. Like, just once in grade 10 is useless. You'll forget all about it by the time you grade 10.1. And... Um, like it'd be better if it was introduced from when you're a child, like as, as a principal, how to grow to be a great adult. Cause what kid doesn't want to grow up? Every kid looks up to growing up. Well, now uh, a lot of people would argue that parents should have a role in that too. Yeah. Um, yeah now yeah. I, I, I agree, you know, and the, the counter argument is people are saying, well, I, I work, you know, we're always working. We don't have time to take care of our kids. Right. And, and you see that people are driving about it on Facebook saying, you know, now I'm stuck with kids with COVID and this is driving me nuts. And so it also shows that schools are in some way a form of daycare, right? Yeah. Um, so people is, uh, expect schools to do, to teach everything, which really isn't practical. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because some of these things are just better taught in, in, a, in a household, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I can say this as, as a teacher. Um as things have gotten um, more bureaucratic in the teaching profession since about the late 90s, mm-hmm. um, it has been much more difficult for teachers to connect on a real-world level with students because of politics, because of policies, because of rules and regulations, which would make you say, oh, you know what? I probably don't want to discuss this, even though it, it's it's a fact of life and it can be very important. I probably don't want to discuss this with my students because you know what? It might be misconstrued. And it might get me in trouble. And so a lot of this stuff is now being eliminated. You know, um, if if I would love to tell all my students, go read the uh, the similar of not giving a fuck. It'll change your life. Oh man, it's a great book. By the way, I read that three times. I, I read it every year. It's it's amazing. Every time I read it, it's it's like I'm glad I read it again because it reminded me of a lot of things I forgot since last time I read it. Yeah, great book to read. Yeah, and I Absolutely. read it from time to time too. Great book to read. Would probably help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if I brought that up, it's like it's not something I can bring up at a at a school level. No, it's know? the political correctness is. I notice it too. I really notice it. Like I, I can literally tell when a teacher changes their flow because now they're hesitating on the exact phrasing of their sentence to make sure they don't offend anyone. And it's like, you know, this like because of this pandemic, or not because of this pandemic, but I hope it's it's helping us realize that we need more real talk and less fluff talk about things that don't really truly matter microaggressions and 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 getting triggered that hasn't hashtagged in a while has it 
Everybody well, busy scrambling for basic food and shelter at this point. <laughs> no room for microaggressions and, and getting triggered, man. Yeah, you, you also have to realize that everyone's definition of what is appropriate and inappropriate changes, right? Uh, I don't know if you're paying attention to, this is about the time that the government changed, but um, the, the new sex ed curriculum uh, came out. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do know this because my buddy was telling me about it. He has, he has kids. Yeah, and as a, as a reasonably liberal person, well, actually quite liberal, I, I would say, um, and from what I knew, I mean, I didn't study it in detail, it made sense, you know. Maybe some of the stuff might have been a little bit early, but that's all. It all depends on your point of view. It it made it made sense, you know. It was it was teaching things that, frankly, kids are probably going to learn anyways online, right? Um, but the backlash that that generated only makes you realize, you know what? Not everyone thinks yeah. like you, man. Yeah. If you think that this is appropriate, there's there's going to be someone who doesn't, and some people were. I don't know if you gone through you know threads online where if you, you purposely try to find communities of people who disagree with you who don't think like you it is amazing mm -hmm. how different some people can think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is again is a thing that that schools have to answer to yeah. you have to be able to deal with the super liberal parents and the super conservative parents in the same room because you're 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 teaching to the entire province and you have to deal with the variety of um you know backgrounds you know some people may have these values yeah. some people may have those values i find and canada so, is very uh almost to a fault lenient in that and i understand the leniency and i think the leniency is good but we've, we've almost strayed to the point where we can't plant our feet firmly on the ground and say this is the canadian way and we are proud to have our own canadian way like yeah. I, I think I think it's too easy to say, well, we're a melting pot of culture. That's the Canadian way. You know what? No, that's that's taking the easy. That's saying we are the general average of everyone. Well, we are like everyone. We're like some people, and we're unlike other people at all. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is in the the subtle art of not giving a fuck, where he basically says, you know, if you don't stand for something, then you stand for nothing. Yeah, uh, it's something like that. So. It, it, if, if you can't set hard values, then in essence, you're, you, 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 you're, you're meaningless. You're not, you're, you have, you, you, you have not defined yourself yet. I th think that's kind of a complex thing for a country to do and quite a complex thing for a province to do. Fuck. It's a complex um, thing for an individual okay. to do. Yeah, of course. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Uh, one that needs to be navigated in a political sense. Um, it may have been easier in the past when authority was different. So schools were seen as being more of an authority figure than than, than they are now, mm -hmm. um, it, which could have been a, a good or a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with questioning things and, yeah, and yeah, making yeah. you reflect, you know, is that the best way? But now, you know, schools generally have to respect policies and those policies are always going to be pretty much flat out in the middle, right? And when you and travel, Pierre, and, and you think back on, on all of these political... Because this is all politically imposed in a way, right? Like trying to please as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, how, how do you feel about it all? Like, is, it all sounds hopeless to me. Like, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm listening. I'm like, yep, concern. Okay, that's a concern. Okay, that's a concern. But it's like, it's just what it is. So it's it's funny. Um we actually thought about this um, 
you know, you know, as you know, we came back to Canada for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we left um, Northern India, which is probably one of the more different uh, areas in the, in the world. Um, as far as values and society and, and all of that, it, it is quite different mm-hmm. uh, from, from here. Very, to our point of view, disorganized. Uh, very, um, as foreigners, hard to understand weird values to me because they make no sense you know um from a logical point of view some things didn't make any sense to me i mean cows are holy which which is fine that's okay to the point where cows will sleep in the middle of a highway and cars just go around them they don't move them because they're holy you don't you don't move the cow that that they chose to sleep there that's it you go around the cow um i get it very different very weird to me but different Okay. What we learned though, while we were traveling is um, the, the countries with the least regulations and the least you, you, some may argue as pointless regulations were also the countries that were the hardest to get around in. And often the the countries that were the least, um, I don't want to say evolved, but developed, I guess is a better way. And, I suspect it comes from the organization of having a strong, maybe pointless, but strong legal system, a strong set of rules um, to be put in place, right? Um, we were in countries where people were completely satisfied with just ridiculous rules from our point of view, because that that's that's the way everyone does it and nobody questions it. But they Whereas get socialized a, into that culture. That's it, right? Yeah. Like they, they learn that that's it. And unless they look outside for a different life, right. that's all they know. So when we left India, we took a flight straight to Frankfurt in Germany. Mm-hmm. We landed there at uh, at night. And first off, Germany blew our mind because we went from a country that has some form of organization, but either we couldn't figure it out or was organized chaos to a country that is extremely organized and extremely rule-bound. Yeah. And in Germany, everything worked. Everything was predictable. Everything was reliable. There was no questioning. Was this was this train not going to come by? Was this train going to be late? Was my hotel uh, going to have bed bugs? Everything worked, man, because there was a strong set of rules. Similarly, in Canada, things are pretty reliable. Of you know? course, I can rely on the electricity here. Usually, I can rely on the water supply. It's a panic here when there's a boil water advisory because it's it's the end of the world. Man, in some of the places we're at, you you might not have had power and that's it. There's no electricity and so be it. Now, the food's not getting refrigerated, so that's it. And that's how it's going to be for five days. We were in a country, um, I believe it was Kenya actually, where nobody had ever questioned the logic of burying power, like the poles for the power lines, without putting cement around them. So what they do is they, they dig a hole, maybe I don't know, six feet down or whatever, maybe 10, I, I didn't measure, and they dump the pole, the post in it, and then they fill it in with earth. Now, what happens under strong rain is that earth shifts, right. pole falls over. Oh what do they do? They wait till the, the, the ground rise, lift up the pole, dig it out again, put it back in, put the earth back in. <laughs> Nobody's ever thought of questioning, like, you know what? No, there's a law. You know, electrical posts need to be, 
except buried 10 feet on, in the ground, surrounded by four feet of concrete. You know, building codes exist for a reason, to make things reliable. But like, do they not have access to the internet to even get like the basics of Dude, that? It, 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 it's not a lack of access. It's, it's just... a lack of knowing that you need to look something up. Yeah. You I just accept things as that's that's how they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we could argue like uh, telecom prices in Canada, right? We accept that it makes total sense that I should pay $70 a month for uh, a phone plan. I don't even think that's ridiculous. We live in an extremely large country. Like, Of course. Honestly, I, I think part of that infrastructure has a cost. Do they make a shitload of profit? Sure they do. Do we have some of the highest rates in the world? Sure we do. But at the end of the day, we live in the second biggest country in the whole world. Sure. Uh, Russia... I've never verified this. Yeah. Uh, this is from a friend who's gone, had the world's cheapest telecom rates. Well, there goes my According argument. to my buddy, he was like, it was essentially free. Um, oh, wow. You're saying it like it cost literally nothing to get connected. Russia's huge also. Yeah. A very, very, uh, it's bigger than Canada, right? Yeah. Um, New Zealand, very, very low density country, lots of mountains, makes uh, increases the requirements for towers, right? Still cheaper than Canada. The only reason wow. I was bringing that up is we don't question things when we don't see a need to, right? Like I just did. And <laughs> yeah, well, and so their point of view, maybe in that country is, oh, well, okay, it rains, posts fall down, we set them back up. That's it. You know, like yeah. you, you don't think beyond the box because you, you don't even know there's another option. Right? And to be honest, I think there's a certain job creation element to that. Of course, actually. Uh, so we spoke with someone who was in... They were stationed in, I think it was Haiti, uh, with the military. And um, apparently in the in this town, there was a big, big, big pot, pothole. And often cars would drive over it and either get stuck or break down or, or whatever. Um, and so, I don't know who, but somebody took it upon themselves to fill in the pothole, some, some organization, mm. you know, to, to patch it, to fix this problem. The next morning, somebody had dug out the pothole again because the pothole was causing them to lose money because they couldn't charge to push the cars out of the, out of the hole. Yeah. Or the, like, you got to take these things into consideration. It seems completely ridiculous from our point of view. But our needs and our values are not the same as everyone else in the world. And these people who are relying on that pothole to get them enough money to eat need that pothole. Yeah. So what do they do? They dig it out. It's it's yeah, weird, no, I, you know. It, but we've we've made up capitalism, we've made up economies, we've made up money as a means of exchanging goods, and we need we've essentially kind of made up a rat race. And to live the modern lifestyle, we have to subscribe and we have to play the rat race game fairly well to succeed at it and to have a more comfortable life and to buy next year's newest fucking iPad because they keep making... They're at 11 now, I think, or I don't know how many, or just pro. They, they just started giving them designations like like their Olympic performance. Kind of funny because I was actually looking at buying one and they've gotten very expensive. Right. Um, but I think... But yeah, we're in a consumerism-driven society, right? We are, man. And we just... I think we just got to remain grateful we, we have to um, stay committed to what drives us, find our goals, get on our fitness. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that at some point. So, ne- so next podcast, Pierre, I want to hear about some, uh, some wh- whatever goals you've set over um, however much time it's going to be. 
and oh, progress man. you've made on them. I will. I'm giving the teacher homework. Oh my god, how's that? So <laughs> you guys were actually talking about that uh, that fitness group you had going, where you were motivating each other, right? Not now, but I think I, I'll want to join in at some point. But yeah. right now, I'm having trouble just getting up earlier than seven a.m. But uh, no, no, fix your living situation, and then yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you in the brotherhood because it helps. Yeah, man. Because honestly, think- some of those guys on there, like they'll go out when I'm not out, and it 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 drags with me the rest of the day. And I'm yeah. like, fuck, I should go. I should like, he was out. He was, he was working out and I'm being yeah. lazy and I can't yeah. live with that guilt. So it works. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I'm going to need that. Right. Yeah. I, you know, that's one of the reasons people often run with a running partner, right? Because if you don't want to go and your partner wants to go, then you're going to go anyways. And if you want to go and your partner doesn't want to go, then you're going to bring them along too. Like it, you know, it helps to have that, yeah, that yeah. motivation. Well, maybe- so yeah, at some point, once I, I get a, a static living condition, which I don't know when that'll be, but uh, yeah, certainly want some some structure, man. I've also learned that structure is important. It doesn't feel important uh, when when you've had it for too long. If you have had a lot of structure, it sucks. You want freedom. I, I I'm coming to you from the future from someone who's had too much freedom. It sucks. You get nothing accomplished because you can do anything, and so you do nothing. Unless you have purpose with which you pursue it with all your freedom. Yeah, then you're setting up a you're setting up a structure in some ways, right? The structure, a structure towards improvement and success and all that. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man, we're like two hours in. Two hours in, buddy. That's how we roll. Nice. Hey, thanks very much, Pierre. That was, uh, it was a pleasure, sir. It was a great and, chat. Uh, Always informative. Um, yeah, I feel like we've recorded one of our fireside chats, basically. And I'll be honest, you inspire me to travel more, man. You do. Hey, if like I can, I, uh, if you ever need some tips, I've got some some places. I yeah. suggest you go in some places. I suggest you do not go. It, for sure, I'm sure you know. I'll be uh, I'll be in touch. <laughs> Thanks for the uh, the inspiration, by the way. To at some point push my limits. That, that Goggins book was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm willing to do that Wim Hof thing. And uh, is it jump in the cold showers yet? No, don't what? do that. Too read damn um, man. read uh, Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. Or, I'll have um, to figure that out. Yeah, that I'll one's have to good. Find that. that Twelve rules for life, eh? Yeah, Jordan Peterson. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Thanks again, Pierre. We'll it's a pleasure, you. sir. We'll have you back on here in no time, I'm sure. Maybe with Yan. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> All right. Take care. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for checking out One Hour In Podcast number 15, guys. You're here all the way to the end of the show, and that's what I love to see. I mean, that's why I'm making these. I I really enjoy making the podcast, but also every week I see the viewership go up. And honestly, it's it's humbling, but it's also encouraging. So I'm going to have a lot more coming. Um, And if you enjoy the content, please feel free to subscribe and share with your friends. Give me a like, all that good stuff, and hit up One Hour In Podcast on YouTube to get the full visual experience of what this podcast is all about so that's it (laughs) i'm done talking i'll see you guys on the next one cheers